As one enters Rome from the Via Ostiensis by the Porta San Paolo, the first object that meets the eye is a marble pyramid, which stands close at hand on the left. There are many Egyptian obelisks in Rome, tall snake-like spires of red sandstone, mottled with strange writings, which remind one of the pillars of flame which led the children of Israel through the desert away from the land of the pharaohs. But more wonderful than these to look upon is the gaunt wedge-shaped pyramid standing here in this Italian city, unshattered amid the ruins and wrecks of time, looking older than the eternal city itself, like terrible impassiveness turned to stone. And so, in the Middle Ages, men supposed this to be the sepulchre of Remus, who was slain by his own brother at the founding of the city, so ancient and mysterious it appears. But we have now, perhaps unfortunately, more accurate information about it, and know that it is the tomb of one Caius Cestius, a Roman gentleman of small note, who died about 30 B.C. Yet, though we cannot care much for the dead man, who lies in lonely state beneath it, and who is only known to the world through his sepulchre, still this pyramid will be ever dear to the eyes of all English-speaking people, because at evening its shadows fall on the tomb of one who walks with Spencer and Shakespeare and Byron and Shelley and Elizabeth Barrett Browning in the great procession of the sweet singers of England. For at its foot there is a green sunny slope, known as the old Protestant cemetery, and on this a common-looking grave, which bears the following inscription. This grave contains all that was mortal of a young English poet, who on his deathbed in the bitterness of his heart, desired these words to be engraven on his tombstone. Here lies one whose name was writ in water. February 24th, 1821 And the name of the young English poet is John Keats. Lord Houghton calls this cemetery one of the most beautiful spots on which the eye and heart of man can rest, and Shelley speaks of it as making one in love with death, to think that one should be buried in so sweet a place. And, indeed, when I saw the violets and the daisies and the poppies that overgrow the tomb, I remembered how the dead poet had once told his friend that he thought the intensest pleasure he had received in life was in watching the growth of flowers, and how, another time, after lying a while quite still, he murmured in some strange prescience of early death, I feel the flowers growing over me. But this time-worn stone and these wild flowers are but poor memorials of one so great as Keats. Footnote. Reverently, some well-meaning persons have placed a marble slab on the wall of the cemetery with a medallion profile of Keats on it and some mediocre lines of poetry. The face is ugly and rather hatchet-shaped, with thick sensual lips, and is utterly unlike the poet himself, who was very beautiful to look upon. His countenance, says a lady who saw him at one of Hazlitt's lectures, lives in my mind as one of singular beauty and brightness. It had the expression as if he had been looking at some glorious sight. And this is the idea which Seven's picture of him gives. 
Even Hayden's rough pen and ink sketch of him is better than this marble libel, which I hope will soon be taken down. I think the best representation of the poet would be a coloured bust, like that of the young Raja of Kolapur at Florence, which is a lovely and lifelike work of art. End footnote. Most of all, too, in this city of Rome, which pays such honour to her dead, where popes and emperors and saints and cardinals lie hidden in porphyry wombs or couched in baths of jasper and chalcedony and malachite, ablaze with precious stones and metals, and attended with continual service. 